I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. All right, James. Uh, we are back. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You? Great. The uh, uh, yeah. Leafs are Leafs are hot. They're on fire now. Four wins in a row as we record and this. Eight and two in their last ten. Who could have seen it coming? And what's tough for them is obviously they've improved their playoff positioning, but Florida has won five in a row and nine of ten, and it kind of looks like they're gonna surge ahead of Boston now for the division, eh? Uh, yeah, and it feels like the Leafs are probably too far back to get in that conversation. You know, like some of the those long stretches of the season where they weren't stringing together wins have, have cost them. Um, I'm just pulling up here what their chances of winning the division or getting up to second in the... Like, they're, it feels like they're basically locked into that third spot, right? Like... Yeah, I guess they could go on a heater and then Boston could go on a dip or Florida could go on a... But it would take a lot of things happening. And, like, obviously the team could still be upgraded, so that could impact it as well. So so they have about a, you know, 5-6% chance of winning the division still and then around a 20% chance of getting second. So it's not nothing. I mean, it's 25% chance that they could sneak past one of Florida or Boston. Um, I don't know how much that matters, though. Like, it... I mean, it matters a little bit, I guess, to get it matters mice in the first round, but it probably doesn't matter enough for anyone to be get really excited about it. It's just one extra home game at the end, potentially, instead right. of being on the road, which obviously is an advantage. Um, so we have a lot to talk about because the team, obviously, like you mentioned, we've mentioned, has been winning without Morgan Riley. Uh, he's served four games of his suspension now. Uh just waiting on an appeal. Apparently, the appeal could come any minute now. Maybe they'll just wait until he served the whole suspension, just like they did uh, with David Perron. We're going to play well, a I game. Think, yeah, I think uh, it's going to come today. Like We're probably going to be out of date if we talk too much about that. And it's either going to be the full five games, or maybe he gets a game knocked off. And well, it's not maybe. It's either a game is knocked off or not, right? Or he serves five, because he served four or five. Right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Maybe he gets a game knocked off and he can play against Arizona tomorrow. That's that's really the only decision that needs to be made. Um, I'm not sure which way it's going to go. Uh, CJ seems to think that there's a relatively decent potential that there's a game knocked off. 
I mean, they knocked two off for Spezza, or Gary Bettman knocked two off for Spezza, but it's not something that they do all that often. Like, it's not a great look to be continually undermining your NHL head of disciplinarian or whatever he's called, player safety. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we can talk a little bit more about that. We have a bunch of questions to get to, but we're going to start today with a game that I did not tell you about. Huh? Huh? Excited? Yes, you're excited. Oh, no. So this game is actually named after you. Oh, More excited? No. Oh, no. The game is called I Say He Does It. Huh? <laughs> you know what? Like, I, I've sort of stopped doing that on social media. I don't yeah. know when I start. When did I start doing that? Like a long time ago. Yeah. And now in, anytime I tweet anything about Austin Matthews, like I get I get dozens and dozens of responses every time. That say I, I say he does it, you or they want like me to war people down. And now they expect it. I don't know. I guess there's just a group of people that that like it. Um, I heard that. I actually I heard that the Austin Matthews parents like it. So <laughs> that's okay, well, how far that... it. That's how far it reached up into the. I don't know. It just felt like I was becoming a character or something if i kept saying that so i'm not i don't say it anymore for the people yeah. not on twitter i my apologize i apologize for do you want to explain for, for the people who who aren't on twitter well, it became, what you it became do? as a joke when he would matthews would get off to a really hot start to a season let's say he would have like six goals in the first four games and i would say austin matthews is now on pace for 150 goals this season i say he does it and then it just became like whatever he was on pace for i would just say that so and it makes it makes fans in other markets so mad for some reason. Why do you like, think I get, that is? I don't know. Like it's it's always it's it, it's always Edmonton and Vancouver where the fans seem to be the most angry about Austin Matthews stuff. I, I don't know why. Like I don't get a lot from Montreal. There's a little bit from Ottawa, but it's Edmonton by far. It's like that. I, I was even getting. You know, I was. I was posting about how, how uh, did you see that? I, I had a tweet about how the last five years, Austin Matthews goals per game rate is in its own class mm-hmm. ahead of everyone else. He's in first at 0.74 goals per game, which is averaging, which is over 60 goals per 82 games over the last five years is his average. Um, and the next closest player was, uh, was it dry I think it was Drysidle who was significantly below him, you know, 0.61 or something like that. And I said, you know, Austin Matthews is in his own class the last five years in goal scoring. And I got all these people. And again, a lot of them are Ed- from Edmonton, which, you know, I'm from Western Canada. I like Edmonton. You know, I've lived near there before and whatever. But but they were they were like, yeah, but he's he's just one dimensional. And it's like, like, have you ever watched him play? He's He's not one dimensional. He's the greatest goal scorer in the league by far, and he's also great defensively. And you know, I thought your piece on Monday got into that pretty. You know, he's legitimately got a case for the Selkie Trophy this year. It's a wide open field. Uh, Dom had a story last week about re- looking at all the the trophies, and uh, right now Austin Matthews is top five for the Hart and top five for the Selkie, which we haven't seen in a long, long time, and. That's what's amazing about him is that not as only is he such a prolific goal scorer, he's also a center and he's also really good defensively. And one of the things that always kept him out of the Selkie conversation in the past is that he didn't kill penalties and uh, he's been out there more shorthanded and that just might open the door for him to win it this year. Okay, well, that's a good segue into the first 
question in our game. I say he does it. Right now, Austin Matthews has the second best adjusted goal scoring season in NHL history. Will he have the best goal scoring season in NHL history? Yes, you say he does it or no? That's too high. So I think you got to say number one is Brett Hall. Correct. Um, 1991, I believe. Mm -hmm. 1990-91, 78 goals adjusted, 86 in, in reality. 86 goals. And I, I pointed this out to you when we were talking about this on the weekend. Runner-up to him in goals, the second-place player in goals. I can't remember who it was. I think there were three players tied or two or three players Steve tied. Steve Eiserman was one of them, but yeah. 51. So yes. he had he had 35 more goals than second place. Yes. That is... I remember that season. That's what like I'm so old. I remember the 1991 season and it was that was the year it was Brett Hall and Adam Oates and it was just ridiculous. It was it was like you know everyone wanted to like watch St. Louis games because it was like they were just piling up. And and the the I'm the debate was is is Hall going to beat the all-time mark from Gretzky? That was the conversation because Gretz, Gretzky set the all-time mark uh, either 92. in 83. I have it in front 80, of me. 82. Yeah, no, I know, but I'm trying to think of the year. Either in 82. 83 or 82. No, it's 82. 80. So nine years earlier, Gretzky had put up 92 goals, and everyone was like, that'll never be touched. It'll never be broken. And then throughout that season, Hall was, it looked like he was going to get close, and he did. He got 86. Um, And he got 86 in a year where almost no one else even got 50. And he won the Hart Trophy as a result. And um, to that point, James, he finished 32 points back of Gretzky in the scoring race and still won the heart. right, right. But you know, and the other thing that the other thing that um, you know, and, and Hull wasn't a well-rounded defensive player. I mean, he was just he was a weapon. Like he was he was incredibly talented offensively. Um, but you know, so you were you were talking about like can Matthews win the heart? And I was like, I don't think so because he's so far back in points. Um, and then, and then we were, and then we looked at it and, you know, like Hall won while being far back in points. But I think the complicating factor is that Gretzky had won something like nine hard trophies, like nine of the last 10 or 11 or something like that. Um, there was, he hadn't actually won James, by the way, he hadn't won it the previous season either. So like it it, it hadn't, but yeah, that wasn't, but he had a run of eight in a row of hard trophies in the eighties. Like, I think, I think there might've been some voter fatigue. That's like, let's, you know, Hall came close to breaking the goal record. Let's give it to Hall this year, even though Gretzky had way more points um, than Hall did. I just feel like I, I don't, I think Matthews should definitely be in the conversation right now, especially if he gets to 70 goals. But um, I don't think the voters are, you know, right now Matthews is 21 points back of Kucherov on pace to be, you know, 30 points back. Matthews only has 24 assists. I feel like that's gonna he, I don't think it it I don't think it should, but I think the voters are gonna not gonna vote for him as a result. Well, I do think um he's 10 goals now ahead of anyone. Um and the primary points thing has to be like if voters are doing their homework, that has to be a thing. Like it's he's not that far back. How many people look at primary points though, Jonas? Like it's not even I can't even bring it up on NHL.com. Yeah, like it's true. not even like a so the number I mean, I think it's the number of voters who would look at things like that has gone up over the years, but I don't think there's widespread adoption of stats like that. Okay, so aside uh, from the the Hart Trophy thing, do you think this will end up being the the greatest goal scoring season in history, or do you think he'll just fall short of Brett Hall? Um, I I don't see 
How he has just it? to add context for you. He has 35 goals in his last 32 games. So yeah, like he, I can't possibly be hotter than he is. That's what I was going to say. I don't know how he can dial up the pace from where he's at already this season. Like getting 70 goals in this era, um, in that season that Hull had uh, 86 would have been would have been higher scoring than than this season. Um, but even adjusted Hull's Hull's number is ridiculous 78 i think yeah and matthews is at 74 with his current pace yeah i don't i don't see how he's going to be able to catch that but you know that's another one if you talk about adjusted stats some people just hate them and it's like well the eras are so different do you know in other sports do they adjust for era like if you're looking at like all-time point totals uh in basketball or you know like in in baseball or in Yes, I can tell you it's a conversation in like it was a conversation in baseball when Barry Bonds was like when there were right. a million homers right. like that that home run era. It was a th- it's been a thing a little bit in basketball just because the scoring is up so significantly. Yeah, uh, like Embiid was averaging like 35, 36 points a game, but there's so much more scoring now. There's so many more possessions. So it, it like y- you can't not factor it in like it, it was just easier easier in quotations to score in those days than it is to score now. Like go look at the the goalies. Like it just is it's like a totally different game. So I think we have to contextualize well, it. The eighties was well over it was over eight goals a game, you know, combined between the two teams. Like it it's so dramatically you know, and then people are comparing the dead puck era that was five point three goals per game. So it's like a completely different sport almost. Like it's you know if scoring drops by 40 percent, you can't you can't, it's not apples to apples. So that's part of what makes Ovechkin and Matthews so amazing is that they've done it. Now it's not as low scoring as the dead puck era right now, but it's certainly lower scoring than it was in, you know, the eighties and early nineties. Well, and I think that's one of the things that I wanted to highlight when writing about it this week is like, I think sometimes it's really hard to contextualize history when it's just happening in front of you. Like you're just like, you're kind of consumed by the day to day and it starts to become like, like the Matthews thing, like he gets back to back hat tricks, and it's like, yeah, well, well, and it's like, I don't, I'm not saying people are doing this, but I think it's really easy to get sucked into that this is normal. And this is like, this is not only not normal for him, it's not normal for anyone. Like, he already with 49 goals, this is the second highest total of his career. Like, this is, and he's played 53 games. Like, he is going to break the Leafs' all time record that he currently owns in a few weeks, right? Like if, like he could have it by, by the first week of March, second week of March, you know what I mean? Like that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And not only I, I sent you this stat, he can become the Maple Leafs all time leader in even strength goals this season. Yes. That's nice. This season. He's 26 years old. This is his eighth year. And he can, he can pass Matt Sundin in even strength goals. Next year, he can pass. He can have the all-time career mark for goals for the Leafs. Can you imagine if Matthews plays his whole career for the Leafs? Like if he's here another eleven years, twelve years. Like how many how goals far, ahead will be? How be? far ahead would he be of Sundin if he plays the whole way and he's healthy? Like it's well. I mean, to that point, James. Like where will he rank all time? Like the trajectory that he's on. It's just is like it's just so health. Yeah. I get I, I get asked that a lot. It's just like the only thing you can't project is how healthy is he going to be? You know, um, I'm here. I'm trying to pull this up here. If I can pull up the all time leaders, all time leaderboard. Um, 
you know, because his pace is ahead of Ovechkin right now, where Ovechkin was at the same age. And working in in Matthew's favor is that it's getting a little bit, the league's getting higher scoring right now, which is which is helping a little bit. You know, Ovechkin had some of those years early in his career where the league was was low scoring. So the all-time mark for, obviously, is Gretzky at 894. Uh, Ovechkin is 58 goals. Is that right? Yeah, 50, 58 goals behind Gretzky right now. Mm-hmm. Probably going to be able to do it. Mm, Probably play, play two more seasons and, and do it. Um, well, can I just say, as we're, we're recording this, CJ just texted me a story uh, of Ovechkin saying in an interview in, with a Russian outlet, that he hopes that that Matthews will top him. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> so, Matthews right now is 162nd in NHL all-time scoring through eight seasons. You know he's passing guys that are. You know he's he's got 348 goals. There there are players that had really good careers in the NHL that he's already passing eight years in. So, you know he's it's 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 really really remarkable. Well, so I mean, years. I mean, yeah. even if he plays at, at minimum, Matthews is going to get to seven hundred plus goals, and seven hundred would put him in the top eight all time. And he's probably going to be able to get to eight hundred relatively easily. It just just depends if he's healthy. Like you know, I was talking to someone who knows Matthews pretty well the other day, and I was like, "This is this. Is, he's on another level this year." And they just said he's just healthy. You know, last year he just really wasn't healthy. You know, he he couldn't he couldn't hold the stick and shoot the way that he normally does last year. And, you know, but if you go back to the year before when he won the Hart Trophy, this, he's kind of, he's, he's taken it even another step this year from that season. Well, that's one of the crazy things is like that season, 21, 22, when he has 60 goals adjusted is like way down there in terms of like the all time rankings. Like it is 55th all time, Mm -hmm. um, which is, nuts and and just to remind you about this season which is second i mean that's it i'm glad you brought up last year he had 40 goals all of last year he has 49 right now like there's so many stats that you can just like kind of blow your mind like i was looking at like career highs for certain players and it's just like he's already passed like kucherov and mckinnon and crosby's career high i think is 50 or 51 and he's like right there it's just like how easily he does it is just I don't like I don't know what else to say about it. It's, it's well, that's that's why the catchphrase is I say he does it. I say he does it. Okay, so he'll, so <laughs> we say don't don't bet against Matthews. Basically, so you say he gets to seventy goals, but he's not going to have the number one goal scoring season in NHL history. He's not going to talk. You know what? Seventy is going to be really close. I think that's going to be a really so they have twenty nine games left. I think they have 28 games left. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, he missed a game. You're right. 28 games left, and he needs 21 goals. It's certainly doable. Would you... Would you? I, there was a debate on I, I heard on, on J.D. Bunk's show about if you come down to the end of the year, would you rest Matthews in the last game or two? Would you get him, would you get him some load management, even if 70 is still in target? Because, you know, for him, I mean, the playoffs are what, what really matter. Yeah, I'd probably lean towards rest. But I mean, like 70 is just such an insane thing. I, I guess the question, James, is like, so this this stretch really, really took off in earnest in the beginning of December. Like he had scored a bunch to them, but he wasn't playing at this level. So last 32 games, he's shooting 24.5%. 24.5%. 
So like, can you, can you keep shooting 25% for another two months? I mean, he's been shooting 21 and a half all season. It, it looks so, it looks like he's facing eighties goalies. Like he just shoots right through them. Like it, he doesn't even hesitate and he knows where to put it. It must be so interesting how he sees the game. Like it just. Well, can I give you a good stat, another stat? And then I want to ask you one thing before we move on to our next segment of the game. If you just took his goals from the beginning of December, he would still rank third in the NHL. <laughs> Isn't that insane? Like he would be tied with Pasternak with 35. It's kind of a shame he's not getting more assists. I guess that's part of just, you know, Nyes only has 10 goals and he's playing with a, a rookie who that's the other part of the Selkie conversation is that I think his line is not as strong as it's been in previous years. Like he's having to, and, and the, the other lines on the team aren't as strong as they've been. So he's had to do a lot more heavy defensive lifting. Okay. Um, well, let me, let me ask you this before we move on. Where do you place him in like your Mount Rushmore of NHL goal scorers? Like, is he top five? Is he, he's obviously top 10. Well, Mount, Rush, top Mount, Mount, Mount Rushmore is only has four people on it, Jonas. So he can't, right. you don't have 10 faces on it. Well, we're making it our own Mount Rushmore. <laughs> I mean, he's certainly pushing himself to be in the top four for sure. And again, it's going to depend on, I was talking to CJ about this and he was like, you know, Mike Bossy, you know, like his, his, his goals per game is, and I was like, yeah, but like, look at the era though, Chris, like, it's like, you know, you're, they were scoring eight goals a game there. Like if you adjust for era, Bossy doesn't even, I think have a single season in the top 50. Um, But I, you know, it's Ovechkin's there for sure. I guess you have to put Gretzky there, even though Gretzky was a playmaker and not really a goal scorer. Um, and then you get into then it gets then it gets a bit tricky, doesn't it? Yeah. So I had someone who I won't name, but who is in our world, who messaged me to say that he has Matthews one, and this was his top five: Matthews, Lemieux, Bossy, Ovechkin, and then tied for fifth, Gretzky, Brett Hall, and I guess he means Bobby Hall, both Halls. Mm-hmm. So and Bury Bury was amazing too. Like Bury was getting sixty goal seasons when yes nobody nobody was. Let me let me bring up the list. So all time leading goal scorers: Gretzky, Ovechkin, Gordy Howe, Yager, Hull, Marcel Dion, Phil Esposito, Gartner, Messier, Iserman. I mean, you should almost look at. I guess you could look at like goals per game career. Maybe that's the way to let's see. Let's see if I can. Uh, we're going down the rabbit hole today, Jonas. Yeah, this, it's, hey, this, deserve, this deserves it, right? Like, it's such an insane all, season. All-time number one goals per game. Do you know who it is? No, who is it? Mike Bossy. Yeah, number um, two is Mario Lemieux. It's the guys who their careers were shortened by injury, right? So if they didn't play a bunch of seasons at the end, it doesn't bring that goals per game down. Uh, number three is Cy Dennehy. And number four is Babe Dye, who both those guys played in the 20s. <laughs> so they don't really count. Uh, and number five is Austin Matthews. He's number five all time right now in uh, goals per game, 0.652 for his career. And that keeps going up every year because um, obviously his pace has picked up from his his early season. Six, Beret, seven, Gretzky, eight, Ovechkin, nine, nine, Brett Hall, 10, Bobby Hall. I mean, if you're talking about a top 10, that's a pretty good list um, in yeah. terms of all-time goals per game. Maybe we can leave off Sidenahy and Babe Dye. <laughs> Babe die classic. Uh, all right. I don't remember watching them. I do not. Uh, next segment in our game. I say he does it. So some pretty interesting comments I thought from Sheldon Keefe, like over the weekend and, and really even the last week on Tyler Bertuzzi, who finally scored over the weekend, broke a 19 game goal drought. 
and I think what I want to hit on here is, is he basically said that they believe in the end, Tyler Bertuzzi is going to show up for them in the playoffs. Like he's going to be a guy when it matters. He's done it before he did it in the OHL. He's done it in the AHL. He did it last year for Boston in a single series, but still first playoffs. I say he does it. Tyler Bertuzzi shows up and makes a difference in the playoffs. Where do you stand? How about that shot on the empty net? Against yeah. St. Louis. Over the net. Air ball. <laughs> it was an air puck. Um, that just shows kind of where his... Uh, I mean, the debate with Bertuzzi is, is he snake bitten or is he just not playing well? And I think that there's there's answers probably somewhere in between. Um, I, I do think that he's going to show up for the playoffs. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Now, if you're Sheldon Keefe and the coaching staff, you probably get in his face before the playoffs and like, okay, Season's been frustrating. Haven't put up the numbers you want. It's the playoffs. This is what matters here. All the eyes are going to be on the Maple Leafs. If we have a run and you score some big goals, you can really, <laughs> if you're worried about the contract and, and everything, you can really cement your legacy. And nobody's going to be talking about your regular season if you come into the playoffs and you score six big goals and and the Leafs have success, right? Like, And that would go a long way to him going to free agency and teams being like, hey, he's a playoff player. We'll, we'll pay for him because he's a you see that sometimes right like guys have big playoffs and then they get a big payday in in free agency for sure i mean barbashev last year like what did he yes. end up getting a five-year deal right right that's a good one yeah i mean barbashev i haven't even like thought of him this year like yeah. what, how many points does he have this year good. that's probably going to be one of those ones you but i mean if they win you the cup and you play like that then he has 13 goals He's 32 points in 55 games. Yeah, it's not bad. And he's been playing pretty high in their lineup. I'm with you. Like, I'm, I tend to agree with you. The only thing, I, I mean, two things give me concern is, is one, like we talked about before, that the competitiveness, like, it's been kind of like hit and miss. Yep. Like, he's yep. now maybe in the context of playoff games, that will just be there all the time. But I can't assume that just based on the way it's gone. And I do wonder, like, I know, like, there have been a million chances, but maybe, like, it's, I don't know, like, maybe it's not just bad luck. Like, maybe he's just not going to convert on his chances like he should. Like, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's, like, confidence as a goal scorer because, it's like, now this is two years in a row where he's just not converting on his chances. Like, he had, he had eight goals all of last season, and then he went and had five and seven games in the playoffs. Yeah, so like, I mean, in, ha in half of those goals, actually three of those goals were on the power play. I think it's interesting, this little thing that they did the last game, which is brand new, keeping him on the first unit in place of John Tavares. I, I don't think I really agree with that. I get it. They had just scored four power play goals against Anaheim, and he you want to keep him feeling good. But they also need to keep Tavares feeling good. And Tavares has not scored a five-on-five -five goal since December 11th. And the only way he's getting been getting goals is on the power play. And now you're going to take him off the number one power play. What effect is that going to have on him? Like, what did you think of that? Well, I mean, in fairness, Tavares wasn't converting a lot on the power play either from that but that's, position. So. But that's not true. Like, that had been changing. Like, he was starting to score on the power play. They they basically, what they've done is, I mentioned this in my Monday column a couple of weeks ago, they've moved him away from the net. Like, he's not so much mm -hmm. net front anymore. He's more in the bumper spot. And I was talking but to him. Keith was saying that he can get some tips that are like further out from the net. 
Yes. And I talked to, I was actually talking to Tavares about it after practice because Keith had mentioned after an outdoor skate that they had uh, made some adjustments to Tavares on the power play because as we had talked about, Tavares wasn't scoring at all on the power play. And so I wondered, because I had seen it, that, that Tavares looked like he was in the bumper more. And he said, yeah, this is exactly what they try to do is get him more space away from the net so he could, like Keith said, you know, be in position for tips, more of a shooting threat. Like he is obviously a great shooter from in tight. And now you're going to not have him there. Like, I don't think that that will last. Um, I don't think it's makes sense, honestly, especially with how little Bertuzzi has converted and how good that unit has been for years and years and years. Um, so that's interesting. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I tend to think, I tend to agree with you that I, I say he does it, that Bertuzzi is a guy in the playoffs. But I don't know. Like, if, if this is two straight years where this is kind of who you are, maybe that's just who you are. I don't know. He's 29, I believe. Or 28. Well, turning I mean, 29. if you're the Leafs, that's the way you have to look at it. That Right. That you're going to get something out of this guy because it hasn't been there all season. I mean, he's on pace. He's got seven goals in 53 games. What's, what's that for a pace? 12 in the, in a whole year. It's it's, and he's been on the second line. All season. I mean, James, Bobby McMahon has now outscored Tyler Bertuzzi. <laughs> hey, playing nine minutes and 39 seconds a game. in 30 games. I had to go back and listen to the podcast where we talked about should they resign Bobby McMahon, and I did not say that they should not resign him. You did. I so did. Yeah. We, well, we hey, put, like, I, I was put that on, on you. I was judging on what I had seen to that point. He had not done anything to that point to suggest that that he was like a for sure NHL player. Like this is different. He something has clicked like in his mind. It looks like where now he's like, hey. I can score here. Like I'm big, I'm strong. I, I'm pretty quick. Like I can take pucks to the net. Like it's almost like that one game has kind of changed his whole mentality. Like he's not young. Like you, you hear on and around town, like people talk about him like he's a prospect. He's not a prospect. Like he's 27, and I think he turns 28 in June. Like he is he's older than Matthews. He's older than Marner. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's the same age uh basically as as William Nealander. You know what I mean? Like he's not a prospect, but maybe He's he's still young enough that if he's not a prospect. Can... He's he's a project. You know, he's an older guy, a late bloomer. Right. All right. Uh, we should take a break. Uh, we got questions to get to. I want to get to one more thing on my game, and then we'll uh, get to questions. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before we get to questions, I say he does it. Bradtree Living trades a first round pick. I don't think think he's going to. I'm going to say no. 
Interesting. The only way I think it's going to happen is if it's a player with term, like it, like if they if they're going for Hannafin or someone like that, then then yes. But my guess is that this deadline is going to be a little bit underwhelming for Leafs fans. I think they're I think they're going to do something. I think they're going to add players, but my guess is they probably add like depth. So like a Nick Sealer kind of type on defense. Yeah. Um, maybe Tanev, if the asking price ends up not being a first round pick and then like a depth forward, I could see that being the, the deadline that they have. I don't know what they even have to get Tanev if it's not a first round pick. Like you do I mean, like some, you do some sort of package, you know, two third round picks or whatever. They got a whole bunch of fifth round picks, you know, get, find some team that's got a bunch of analytics guys that think three fifth round picks is worth a second round pick. And there you go. Yeah. I mean, I thought uh, Justin Bourne had an interesting thought in his column for Sportsnet this week where he mentioned like maybe you you just decide it's never going to be what you want with Max Domi. You just trade him for something. I just don't think you're getting enough. Like I, I had that same thought actually about Bertuzzi and actually you had that thought about Bertuzzi initially where maybe you just decide, you know what? It's not working. Let's trade him for an asset, maybe a second round pick and let's take that second round pick and trade him for Tanev. Yeah, like, I mean, I could see better? that with Domi because they're looking at bringing in a third-line center, right? And that's the role that Domi's playing right now. And if you're trying to build a defensive or a two-way line, Domi's not going to be on it on your third line. And maybe there's nowhere for him to play. So maybe there's a contending team. Maybe Dallas wants him back after the run they had last year. And maybe they'll give you a second-round pick and you can turn around and flip that. Yeah, so I guess if, if that's all you do, like if it's just depth, like let's say it's Sealer. So see, suddenly your third pair is basically going to be when healthy Sealer and Lilligren. Like, I just don't know that you've addressed what your actual issue is, which is your top four and your top pair. Yeah, I, maybe, I depth really is the wrong, maybe depth is the wrong way to phrase it. I think they're going to add a top four defenseman, okay. a third line forward, and try and try and accomplish that without giving up the first round pick. But we'll see if that's possible or not. Good luck. Yeah, I don't know that that's going to be possible, especially with how few like impact players there are available like i'm using yeah. impact kind of in quotes like is is adam henrique an impact player like well I we were was, like, we were joking with cj that you know the top of his trade board after monahan and uh lindholm were traded was like sean walker's like at the top and it's like oh boy here right? we go the sean, sean walker sweepstakes like, he's like on their third pair second pair sometimes like all right, uh, that's the end of our game. That was fun. I want to do a better, longer-lasting edition. I, I got to keep track of the games. Like I'm gonna have a game spreadsheet now, so I know. Oh my goodness, you're gonna have like a wheel and you spin it to play <laughs> yes. whatever game you come up with. <laughs> what a great uh, idea, James! All right. Unfortunately, we're a little bit tight for time, but and we have tons and tons of questions. So apologize to the people whose questions we don't get to. We only there's only 132 questions. I put this up last night, like late last night i don't understand how there are 132 questions already like that's just thanks to everyone i saw someone was complaining that we answered their question last week but we didn't answer it very well so apologies sometimes we get a little bit rushed with these um when you're getting 132 questions and you only have time for eight it's maybe one day we should just do a mailbag show where we're just answering questions the whole time sure. maybe we do that do that after the deadline uh okay uh frank uh, has a good segue off of what we just talked about. Uh, his question is, after the terrible moves made this summer, can we trust Tree Living to not make things worse at the deadline? I mean, I think it's a fair is, comment. I, I literally I, wrote I, a story about this early in the season, so this is something I have thought about. Go ahead. I think you have to hope that 
the organization, Tree Living Shanahan, have seen this team for a longer period of time. They have an idea of what they what it needs. They they're not going to be chasing stuff they don't need. They're not going to be going for Ryan Reeves's and offensive defensemen. And they make a good deal. But you know, I encourage people if they didn't read it, Jonas wrote a story when the Leafs made Tree Living the GM and going through all of his history and there were some real landmines in there. There were some really, really poor moves in there. There were some good moves. Um, you know, I think he pointed out that he had a tendency to build good blue, blue lines. Like that was one of the hallmarks for Calgary is that they typically had four or five really good defensemen. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially free agency seems to be like where he struggles. So, um, yeah, like the, the crux of that story was like there was a perception of him as like a really good GM and like the record was much more mediocre than i think it was perceived so that was kind of the thing and then his track record was happened at at best a c plus as a gm at best it would be what his track record was i mean he was there nine years and And they made the playoffs i believe four times and you know part of it was i know the ownership situation there you know there was pressure to do things like like the daryl sutter stuff and you know there was there was some meddling that happened there um you know and I, I don't think they they were he was ever able to fully rebuild. Like I don't think that that was it was kind of like one of those perpetual rebuild on the fly kind of thing, and that sometimes can hamstring a GM. But you know some of the contracts, like I remember the Troy Brower one, like there were there were just there were some really big misses, and you know Klingberg and Reeves were the misses this year. But even looking back, you know, um, Domi and Bertuzzi haven't worked out either, so. Well, and like Noah Gregor was a healthy scratch on Monday, as he should have been. Yes, as, as you, you know, when, yeah. But like when they you, get they healthy, decided, right? But James, like they decided he was going to be as good or better than Sam Lafferty. Like all those little decisions add up. I guess the the thing like you pointed out, I think is important is now he knows the team better than he had. Like that was a failure of hiring him with a month before the off season starts. Really. In the first place, like he didn't know the team, he like he knows the team from right. afar, but not like the intricate little details like he would know now. And you would have to hope, like you know, this doesn't work with this, and this person doesn't work in this role, and like all these little different intricacies that you just wouldn't know without being around day to day. It's very interesting, though, Jonas. Like I wish we were could be a fly on the wall for the, how the decision making works because he's still got the same staff that was here before, right? So like yeah, our. Is the analytics team and and Wes Clark and these people in the front office are they were they banging their fists on the table saying let's I don't want to sign Ryan Reeves and I don't want to. But let me ask you, like, let me put that back on you. Do you think you have a new boss? You're going to be like, if the new boss comes and says, like, I think we need Ryan Reeves. Like, we're too quiet. Yeah. Some energy. Well, are you really going to be like, no, it's a terrible idea. Don't do that. No, you're going to be like, well, like, even if you're Sheldon Keefe, you're probably going to be like, well, I guess I could find like, you know what I mean? Like, you're probably just your your job is. Your job is like if you go to, you know, if you're a manager and you go to your group and you say, what do you think? Your job is to say, I don't agree and here's why and lay out your case. Like that, that's the whole purpose for what you're doing. Yeah. I just think that's hard when like you have a new boss, like, are you, like you're really going to go like, that's a terrible idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know what I mean? And like, are you going to, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just think it's a hard position. I think it's like, it was em- emblematic of how they chose to go about their off season with everything so yeah uh 
Greg has a question. Rather than a future move to the wing, do you think that Tavares could reinvent himself as more of a shutdown center on the third line? He historically played well with grinder-type wingers. No. I don't think shutdown is the right role for Tavares. He doesn't... He's not that fast, obviously. And the thing, too, about Tavares that, you know, I've been surprised at a little bit in Toronto is that he's not really as good of a two-way player as I think his reputation was. Like, he's not... I wouldn't say he's bad, but defensive play is not really his strength. Like, he's not... No. He which is which is interesting, because, not, like, you remember James... what he Peter, is. But you remember when he first got to Toronto that first season, like, you go to the playoffs, and, and Mike Babcock was using him against Bergeron. Now, the team was constructed differently. Like, Matthews was young. Kadri was young-ish. But you remember that. Like, that was... They were using him in the literal toughest matchups, mm-hmm. but he's not built for that, especially now at age thirty-three. Like, so I don't. I do think I think, he's, I think he's he's gotten a little bit better with some of his decision making. I think the last couple of years, but you know the body's starting to go. So, if he's on, if he's your third line center and he signs a cheaper contract, then you're in a good place. I just don't know that shutdown is going to be the role for him. No, it would be the opposite, where you're just kind of stuffing him in the offensive zone. I do think it was really interesting. A uh, just that St. Louis game. So we'll see if this keeps going, but Keith deciding to keep Max Domi between Bertuzzi and Neander and using Tavares with McMahon and Robertson and also Keith getting Tavares out there on the wing for a few shifts with Matthews and Marner. Mm-hmm. That's, that's something he's usually only gone to after like penalty kills, but he was doing it within the context of the game. Like it ended up being a minute 45, and I'm just circling that. Like, that's just, that's interesting to me. Like, if that's something that they're thinking about, if they're going to do it more, if they did get a center, maybe they'd try something else. I don't know. Just something I'm going to watch. All right. Uh, Mohammed has a really good question. This is why I like taking the questions because sometimes we don't talk about things on the show that we should talk about and the questions address them. Uh, Mohammed uh, wants to know Has Timothy Logren gained traction with? with how he's played with the increased responsibility he and Brody have been a good pairing this they have looked pretty game. good this was one of the game segments by the way James just well we got to do like a two hour show to fit all of this <laughs> stuff in um would, would, the Lilgren has played better it's almost like when he gets that top four role and gets a better partner uh has, seems to play with a little bit more confidence I know you were down on him after the one game, the yeah, the one, I, the one St. Louis game, the first one. Yeah, he played a lot. I'm just like, he, again, like you're, you're right. I, he's playing better. Played 23 and a half minutes against St. Louis on Monday. Possession numbers are great. I'm just kind of on the. Is verge it like of, consistency? Like, yeah, I'm kind of on the verge, James, of just being out. Like, I just, especially in games that matter, I just don't feel like they're going to be able to trust him. To be honest, like. Well, and just I think something that that's, missing that's what a Keith, bit with him. That's what Keith's wrestling with is that um so the last 10 games where they're on, they're on this 8 and 2 run, Lilgren's underlying numbers are really really good. Um they've outscored the opposition 9 to 5 at 5 and 5, 53.3% expected goals. Um everything looks really good and and he's obviously he's playing over 17 minutes a game at at even strength at 5 on 5 in that stretch. And um yeah. You know whose numbers are way better lately is Reeves. Reeves' underlying numbers are all pretty good now, which is interesting because they were so bad to start the year. Yeah. 
Okay. Small sample size. Small sample size. I mean, go look at the numbers on the season. Like they've been outscored, I believe, sixteen to three when he's been on the ice. Now I, lo- I know a lot of that was early on. I just don't think you can play him in games that actually matter. Like it's nice you can play him in games against Anaheim, play him twelve minutes. I, I just, yeah, I'm not in on that. I uh, I have a piece I still that's been half written that I still need to get out there, and it's looking at you know cap situation and stuff like that. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Reeves. Um, you know, because one of the things they could do to create some cap space is, is put him on waivers and send him down or, or lose him. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, uh, next question. Uh, William wants to know, should Toronto reevaluate whether it makes sense to trade for a rental every year? Dallas and Carolina never seem to make big deadline deals. Then they've had more playoff success than Toronto. And they haven't sacrificed their future. Uh, even Tampa always seems to trade for players that have term and, or guys that they re-sign. I mean, I, th- I think obviously in an ideal world, you want to trade for players that have term and players they re-sign. Oh, the Jake McCabe trade is, I, I know his play has not always been amazing, but he's really settled in lately and looked really good. He's really been a top four defenseman and you have him for 2 million bucks for three years. I mean, that trade was... That's what you need to do. And it's funny, I don't know that teams at the deadline value that enough. Like a lot of times you, the the NHL's trade deadline is so late. It's so late in the year. There's only, what, 17 games left in the season or whatever. So if you go out in the first round, which the Leafs have often done, you're you're getting a player for like, what, at best, 22 games? I look back at those years when they were acquiring Brian Boyle. Did they trade a first round pick for Brian Boyle? Second, second? I believe. Second, right, okay. Second round pick for Boyle, uh, second round pick for Kanich. It didn't make any sense. To, like you're getting those guys for 20 games, and you weren't in a position to really be a contender in those years. It, it does like that's just that's just silly stuff. Well, I, I think the issue I take with this conversation sometimes, though, James, is like the perception now has been that they were wrong to trade the picks in recent years, 
just because of how it played out with the playoffs. And I just don't think you can do that. Like in the position that they were in, a team trying to win a Stanley Cup, a team trying to win a Stanley Cup for the first time in more than 50 years, that was what you have to do. And like you you don't make the trade knowing whether it's going to work out in the playoffs. Well, you make the trade I, with the intention of like trying yeah, to Yeah, but I'll interrupt you, Jonas, though. Like, did they trade make the trade the right trade though, right? Like they well, traded that's a different conversation. Like some of those trades it's part of the like, same conversation because like maybe you're okay trading a first round pick if you're getting something that gives you value over a longer period of time. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is like if if one of those like let's say that year they make the trade for Nick Foligno, which I did not like at the time. And I was almost alone. I think like Dom and I were like voices in the wilderness, but let's say they won the cup as they like were in a position to do based on the division and all that stuff. Nobody would look back at that and say that that was a mistake. Like it, it's only now seen as, as a mistake. And some of the other stuff is seen as because a mistake. it was a mistake. It, it's yeah, seen but, now as a mistake because it was a mistake. <laughs> like James. Yeah. But like, you that's a theoretical that like, doesn't, yeah, but if you win a like, cup, it's it's going to be worth it. Like that's if everything was completely different, then it would have been a good move. But no, like, you're, you're misunderstanding. You're miscon. You're you're taking it into a different context than it is. Like if they had, they did, they made smart moves at the deadline last year. I mean, Brendan Shanahan said that himself on the day that he fired, announced Kyle Dubas was fired. They made smart moves. It didn't work in the playoffs, but that doesn't mean like they did the wrong thing. It just didn't work out in part for. I mean, for lots of different reasons, some of those trades worked, some of those trades didn't, but like, I guess we're evaluating it with the context of what happened, which I understand, but it wasn't wrong to go all in and try to win the cup. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, it would be silly if you were just like, well, we're just, we just want to keep our assets, blah, blah, blah. And that's why I think the conversation this year where there's an idea that they should do nothing because in past years doing nothing, doing something hasn't worked. Like, it doesn't make any sense. But the the question allows for... A team like Tampa that did something, but Tampa's Tampa's some- traded tons of picks and not always for players on a contract. Tampa traded a first round pick for David Savard, like who wasn't signed. Like it's it's just you're just anyway. Go ahead. All right, let's move on. Uh we've fought enough. My voice is starting to fade here. So you're gonna have to keep carrying the mail for us to end the show. Uh Mark wants to know who's a dark horse defenseman with term that isn't getting much buzz but you could see being the surprise acquisition. He names Jamie Alexiak, who I really like, a Toronto guy, uh, an East York guy, my my hood. Um, and uh, uh, he, he names Jamie Alexiak and Adam Larson, both from Seattle. I haven't looked at Larson's statistical profile this year, but he's been a guy I've liked in the past. I liked him two or three years ago. Um I like both. I think both those names are really interesting. Is there anyone else that hasn't been talked about a lot, Jonas, that you like potentially as a defenseman they could add with who has term? I'm doing a story on this at some point in the next oh, yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah. So that's like something I've been thinking about. You should get that out soon, though, Jonas. I mean, the deadline's like yeah, two thank weeks you. away. <laughs> I'm aware. Yeah, uh, so that should have come out a while ago. How come the forward target actually, one came up before defenseman? James, you must have missed it. There was actually, I did actually one on the defense months ago. So, yeah, that that did yeah. come out at a certain point. I'm just updating. Well, now it, we, by we the need way. One, uh, we need one that's more relevant. Thanks, James. All right, so well, well, why don't you just throw the? No, I think those list. are good suggestions. I think like some of the names <laughs> we've talked about that don't get tons of attention, like Mike Matheson. I think makes sense. I think like there are defensemen who are signed, but like your point about like, well, why do they just get rentals? Because like those other guys cost more. Like teams aren't just 
with rentals, it's just like, here's a pick, here's a pick. But if you want one, like if you want Alexiac, okay, well, what are you paying? Like we want first, we want Nyes, we want, you know what I mean? Like the conversation changes and it's just harder for teams to do that in season. I'm just pulling up Alexiak's contract. And Matheson's a great one. Is there anyone else that that comes to mind? I mean, I don't want to steal all the thunder from your story, but uh, uh, okay. Alexiak has two more years left on his deal after this one. 4.6 million. Um, he's obviously, he, he obviously helps you in the size. He's a left shot, so, um, but he can play the right side. <clears throat> 31 years. I mean, he's 31 years old already. That's hard to believe. And he's a guy that's been a bit of a late bloomer. Like I remember when he came into the league, he was more of a, a depth guy and he's really played his way up to be a very, very effective um, in the top four now. So he would be great. Indeed. You got one more question? Let me see. Let me see. Let me see, Jonas. <sighs> I'm just going to decide here. Um, Paolo wonders about Matt Dumba. Matt Dumba has not had a very good season in Arizona. He just doesn't like he he gives not you a good defensively. No, and like the offense is not what it used to be. Like I watched them the other day. Like he's playing a lot for Arizona. Like he's on their top penalty killing unit the night I watched. And just nah, I don't think so. Um, Steven says a question for James, because I know Jonas has been arguing wrongly against this. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. All right. Uh, James, um, try to argue or convince Jonas why the Leafs doing nothing at the deadline might be the right move or at the very least, not a bad move. Anyone who's been reading Jonas's articles or listening to him on overdrive knows he's very against it. Sure. I think that they, I, I would be okay with them doing, I think they need to, they should do something. But I don't know necessarily that they have to make a huge move. I don't think I don't know necessarily that they need to trade the first round pick or they have to trade a top player. But they need to bring in a defenseman that they can play relatively high in the lineup. So maybe so is that I don't a know. big move. Like what is that? Like I don't understand. Well, like if they're getting like a I don't know if they get like a Sean Walker or a Tanev and that's all they do, I think that's okay. Do you think they need to do more than that? Yes. Yeah, like people seem to be talking out of both sides of their mouth. They're saying this team isn't good enough to contend, but they should do nothing. Like, I don't understand that. Well, I think that I Matthews think is scoring. Are, Matthews might score seventy goals, and you're just going to be like, "Well, not a lot we can do. We don't want to trade our first round pick." I, I think it really like no, no one's complaining about trading two second round picks for in the Giordano trade because they kept Giordano. And he had a really good year last year. No one's complaining about no one. I've heard no one complain about the Jake McCabe trade because they got a player and they the cap it came down and he's still on the team. The ones that people are complaining about is, I mean, they, they didn't just give up a first round pick for Nick Foligno. They gave up two fourth round picks as well. Like if you look at like that, that aged horribly. The Boyle one, Plakanich. What, what were some of the other? Uh, what about that year when they they it wasn't just Foligno. They brought in Riddich and. Um, yeah, they a lot Who of the, ben, Hutton. Ben, ben Hutton. Yeah, um, and they traded five picks. You know, for and anyway, I, I think if they even if they only add, I would I would try and add another center. Those um, are big moves. Like you're talking about those. Like those are minor moves. Those are not minor moves. 
there's not a lot of centers available. If you're going to get one of them, you're going to probably have to pay something. Like maybe no, you you're not like going to have to buy a first round pick for a third line wing player. On this team, those are third line players. Like Adam Henrique might is the top center available. He's not. He's coming, not going to be a first round pick. He's okay. not going to. It's. I don't think it's going to be a first round pick for Henrique. All right. So is that it. <laughs> I, I I disagree that. I know he he wants me to argue to do nothing. I don't think that there is the only argument to do nothing is if the prices are completely ridiculous or if in the next two, three weeks before the deadline, you feel so good about your team, you feel like you don't have to add anything. I think I think they have to add something, even if it's depth. Even if you're adding a third pair defenseman and a fourth line forward, I think you have to do it. You didn't do your job. You didn't argue against me. Uh, you have to go. Uh, the Leafs continue on their road trip. We'll see what happens with Riley. People will understand that and know that before or after they listen to this, I guess. Um, so, James, sign up for The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash sleep report. $2 a month for 12 months. Great deal. Amazing. Right? Yes. Thank you. All right. That's all I got. I don't have anything else to say. The Leafs uh, continue the road trip. They're out west. Our man Joshua Koch is on scene. Be sure to read everything he is writing. And that's it. We'll be back, uh, I think, next day, next week, Wednesday. Yeah, well, if you're recording next Wednesday, I am out of town, so I will not be on that show. So <laughs> maybe, maybe there might be someone in the, there might be a guest uh, co-host next week. All right. We will talk, uh, I guess, in a couple weeks. Thanks, James. Thanks, James.